Okay, we're back again. Um, today's sugya is a small sugya, but it's uh, in a certain way it's very enjoyable. In a certain way, it's a little frustrating, but uh, we're going to do our best to crack it open and develop it in light of the information in front of us and the information we've seen already. As b'siyat uh, deshmaya, it should go well. So, holding on the Gemara on Davchavav Amin Aleph. Um, back to the second case of the Mishnah. The second case of the Mishnah. Let's just refresh our memory. The Mishnah said, "Shluchei mitzvah p'turim min asuka, cholin u'mishamshem p'turim min asuka." So, case number two was right after Shluchei mitzvah. We have cholin u'mishamshehen. Now, what is this cholin u'mishamshehen? Cholin u'mishamshehen are a sick person and their aid, right? So, let's see the brisa. The Gemara starts off Tanur Rabbanan. It was taught in a brisa. Chole she'amru. The chola, which is being discussed in the Mishnah, lo chola sheish besakana. We're not referring to a chola sheish besakana. What's a chola sheish besakana? There's halachically two different types of sick people. There's a sick person who's in mortal danger, that if they don't get medical attention, then they might pass away from the medical issue at hand. And there's a chola she'in besakana, a chola where there's no mortal risk at this point. But they're in a you know symptomatic. They're in a certain level of a degree of discomfort. That's a chola she'in bosakana. Usually, the, the the parameter of whether you qualify as a chola she'in bosakana is if due to your symptoms you have to lie down. So let's say on Shabbos a person just has a little bit of a headache. So there, that wouldn't be a chola she'in she'in bosakana yet. If the headache became so bad it was a migraine something like that that they would have to lie down to it that would become a chola she'in bosakana. Now a chola she'ish bosakana. Would be that someone that it's uh, they're in such a state that you know we're concerned for their their life. That would be the three different, uh, I guess, degradations. So says the Brisa, the Mishnah that says a cholam shem the sick person and the person who's helping them are exempt from sukkah, is not referring to a cholam It's not referring to someone who is mortally sick. Why? Because if that's true, so obviously, you know. We have a mitzvah to live by mitzvahs. We're only obligated to perform mitzvahs when our life's not at stake, but if our life's at stake. So now obviously we're not obligated to stay in the sukkah. So it says the Gemara, Rather, even a, per- a sick person who there's no mortal danger to them at this moment, nonetheless they're exempt from sukkah. And even if a person has their eye is bothering them, they have an eye. And even if they have a headache, all of these are legitimate reasons to exempt someone from sitting in a sukkah. Now, there are certain things that we'll have to ask ourselves, right? Does that mean that even if going inside is not going to help alleviate their symptoms? What would happen if a person has a headache? So now the headache is being exacerbated by the fact that he's in the sukkah? Or even if a relevant of the headache is not being exacerbated by the fact he's in the sukkah, but just practically speaking, he'll be more comfortable in the house, is that suffice to allow him to be exempt from sukkah? That's a question we're going to have to address. It's not clear, it's not explicit in the Gemara. The simple read of the Gemara is that when a person has a headache, he's, he's uncomfortable, so a relevant of whether that's being caused by the sukkah or not, he's able to go inside. Now, if that's true, we'll have to know why that's true. Why, why that is true. If it's irrelevant to the sukkah, why not at least fulfill the sukkah during that meantime? Amr B'Shimon Gamliel, B'Shimon Gamliel says, Pam achas chashti b'kesari. There was one time where I was in Kesari on sukkahs and my eye hurt. And Rabbi Yesi, the son of Rabbi, we'll see who that is soon in Rashi. Rashi says it's Rabbi Yesi bar Chalafta. They called him Biribi because he was the sharpest, the smartest person in his generation. So they called him Biribi as a way to express his wisdom. So he said that he, that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel and his, and his caretaker could sleep outside of the sukkah due to that eye ache. Rav Sharada Rav Acha Bardala Lemigna Bekilsa Besukha Mishumbaki. Now, comes along the, the Gemara and brings a whole new Braisa. What's this? that Rav Acha Bardala was able to sleep, you know, he, he was in his sukkah, and he could take a covering, like uh, some kind of netting, to protect him from baki. Rashi says baki are mosquitoes. 
and that if a person covers himself in a netting underneath his sukkah, so that disqualifies him from fulfilling the mitzvah of sukkah. So Rav allowed Rav Achabardala to cover himself, to protect himself from mosquitoes, because the mosquitoes were bothering him. Now the question here is, why in the world did the Gemara bring this? Right, We're in the middle of discussing Cholim Meshamshayim. Cholim Meshamshayim are sick people and their servants. We're talking about their exemption. A person who's bothered, you know, when it comes to mosquitoes or flies or whatever that may be, it seemingly has no connection to the exemption of a chola, of a sick person. So why does the Gemara juxtapose these two different issues? Comes along the Gemara and brings a third case. Rova so Rava allowed Rebbe Acha, the son of Ada, to sleep outside of the sukkah because the ground, they used to cover the ground with some kind of white um, dirting. And because of that, there was a funny smell. There was a smell that he was sensitive to. And since he was sensitive to that smell, he allowed him to sleep outside of the sukkah. So again, to reiterate the question, if we're in the middle of a sukkah discussing sick people, the exemption of sick people from sleeping in a sukkah, why in the world is this brought here? Because seemingly it has no connection. So it comes along the Gemara and explains the basis of the exemption, at least for the last two cases. Rava Rava Comes along the Gemara and says, Rava is going according to his opinion, because Rava held of a principle that a mitzvah, a person who's under distress, he's under duress, is exempt from a sukkah. Now, we saw this earlier on Chafayam and Beis, right, when we were discussing the exemption of maybe a person in mourning is exempt from sukkah. And the Gemara said, no, only a mitzvah based off the sukkah, a mitzvah uh, is exempt. So this concept of mitzvah is a concept we've discussed already. And yet here, in the middle of the Gemara of Chayla, the Gemara is telling us that when it comes to a Chayla, so... We're also coupling that with Mitzdayar. So now what would you say? So maybe the reason the Gemara is doing that is because maybe every time a person's sick, he's also Mitzdayar, right? A person is sick. So obviously if a person is sick, that means that even without outside influences, he's uncomfortable, he's not feeling well. So then that's for sure Mitzdayar. If we're going to say that someone who's just not uncomfortable due to outside circumstances is Mitzdayar. Right? That's how it would start. The Gemara is clear not like that. How do I know? Because continues the Gemara. It was taught in a Mishnah. Our Mishnah says explicitly that specifically a sick person and their helpers are exempt from Sukkah. And therefore, if we make a precise reading, only a sick person is exempt. But when it comes to a Mitzdayer, he's not exempt. So how could Rava make this claim that a mitzvah is exempt from sukkah, how, if, based off the precise reading of the Mishnah, it's very clear that only a sick person, but not a person who's just distressed. So he answers the Gemara, Amri Comes along the Gemara and says a different distinction. The Chiddusha, the Mishnah, the novel concept the Mishnah is coming to prove is that a chola, a sick person, and his caretaker are exempt from sukkah. Whereas when it comes to a mitzvah, a person under duress, under distress, so that individual is exempt, but the person, his aid, is not exempt. And that's the distinction of a chola and a mitzvah. Now, if that's true, it's also very clear that chola and mitzvah are two different things. Why? Because how could they have different halachos if they're the same exact exemption? So that being said, again, we have to ask ourselves, why is it that the Gemara coupled the case of Chola with the two cases of Metzdayar when discussing this idea? So before we get into the Rishonim that discuss these questions and try to come to understanding of what's the nature of the exemption of Chola and the nature of the exemption of Metzdayar and the, you know, each one's helper, let's just see there's two tosas, two small tosas I want to see first just to get the facts down in the sugya, and then uh, we'll take it from there. So it says, Tosfos, and the Vramaschava, Filuchash Be'inov, Dafel Pisha Inbosakanas, Ayin. So it comes along to us and asks a question. So when this person, their eye hurts, so very good, maybe there's no mortal danger, but maybe there's a question of the loss of an eye. 
I mean, how, to what extent does the eye have to bother them? So very good, they're, we're not afraid they're going to pass away from it, but what happens if they have to be to the extent that we're afraid they make a blind? Chas v'shalom. So says Tosfus, no, it's not true. It doesn't have to be. So Tosa says, even if there's even any concern a person's going to lose their eye, or for that sake, any body part, any limb, that's tantamount halachically to loss of life. And therefore, under those circumstances, you'd be able to go ahead and be machala Shabbos even. You can desecrate Shabbos. He sources this in the Gemara Novodazar. The Gemara Novodazar is discussing a case where they applied a medication on someone's eye on Shabbos when they were afraid that they were going to lose the eye. And even that necessitated doing malacha on a deraisa level, malacha deraisa. So nonetheless, they were allowed to do it. So Tosis wants to prove from there that we're talking about even when there's an eye ache, which there's not even a concern for the loss of the eye, that even that degree was still willing to say you're exempt from sukkah. Now Tosis says one more Small Here was the second case that we were allowed to build, to, to put up some kind of netting inside of the sukkah to make sure the mosquitoes didn't bother. So Tosa says, So Tosa quotes the Gemara. The Gemara says, According to Rabbi Bar of Huna, so under all circumstances, you could put up a netting, even though there's a roof inside of it. So what's the novel concept here that we're trying to express that, you know, we were allowed to put inside a mosquito netting, <laughs> that net netting is allowed to put in as the initial course of action. What's the big, what's the big deal? So says the, the halacha is not like that. So since the halacha is not like that, so even though there was an opinion that allowed it, so since the halacha is not like that, so sleeping under a netting is tantamount to sleeping inside of a sukkah, and that's why the Gemara brought it. Now some of the Bachram in my daily shir asked me, you know, how come the Gemara had to establish it, that they built a netting inside of the sukkah, say simpler, that he went into his house. How come they just make it that the guy went back into his house? Why did he have to, why did the Gemara express say that he could put up a netting? So I think that the basic answer is that we discussed already last week in Abaye Rava, maybe, right, that uh, part of Teshvukin Tadoru is that not just that the same circumstances in your house you're obligated to be in the sukkah, but you actually have to make that the standard of living in your house is equal to that of sukkah. And therefore, you have to bring in your bed and you have to bring in all your sheets and all your different vessels. So once a person brought all that into the sukkah, so there to now. My suk, my bed's out in the middle of the sukkah. So I have two options. I could take apart my bed and bring it back in my house and reconstruct it. Or I could just put up a net inside my sukkah. So practically speaking, it could be it was just more simple to put a netting in the sukkah than to redo everything. So those, that's the sugya. That's the facts. And now let's go ahead and try to get into the deeper understanding of the sugya itself. So the first one of the Rishonim I want to see is in source 6, the Chedushe Ra'ah. The Ra'ah was a contemporary of the Rashba. That means that there were students of the Ramban. Um, the Ramban was an 11th century, 12th century, I'm sorry, Rishon, who lived in Spain. They wrote one of the fundamental commentaries on the Chumash, as well as Talmud Bavli, as well as several halachic works, and even hashkafic works. Um, Kabbalistic works. He was a, uh, one of the major, major Rishonim. He had two primary students, the Rashba and the Ra'ah. And they had a student, both of them called the Ritva. They were all one base Midrash. So here comes along the Ra'ah and says as follows. Rava shara leyler of Achabarda le migna kalsi mishumbaki. Rava allowed Rivi Achabarda to sleep inside a mosquito netting because of the mosquitoes. What a baki! So explains that oh, they were either flies or mosquitoes. Shaim et Sirena, so they were bothering him. So Rabbi Shara lay there of Acha bar Ada the Minga bar Metalasim Shem Sircha de Garsha, and the Ramal quotes the next case that Rabbi allowed of Acha bar Ada to sleep outside of the sukkah because of the smell of the flooring that they put inside of the sukkah. Shaya Usarech Metzayro because that smell bothered him.
Rava la'amadi day, and Rava is going according to his svara, that says that a person who is distressed is exempt from sukkah. Vatnan, the Gemara asks, that's unique, this exemption is unique to a sick person and their helpers. So a sick person, yes, they're not a sick person. So says the Gemara, a sick person, he and his helper are exempt. But when it comes to a mitzayir, a person who's distressed, he's exempt, but his helper is not. Now, these last five words are really the whole crux of the ra'ah. Now, all of these are exempt due to the principle of teishvu kein tadoru, meaning a person's obligated to dwell in his sukkah under the same circumstances he would dwell in his house. And all of these exemptions, the sick person, his helper, the person who's distressed, but not his helper, right? They're based, these exemptions, whether you get them or not, are based off of, are based off of the exemption of Teshvu Kein Tadoro. So at first glance, this is very disturbing. Um, I'll tell you why. Because let's, let's think about what's our circumstance here, right? We have a sick person, and the sick person has a helper. That means that this sick person, you know, whether it be, even if he has a helper, right? Because he has a, he has a who's the, let's go back. Who's the sick person? The sick person is someone with a headache, right? Even that sick person is exempt. Now, does a person have a helper because he has a headache? Not necessarily, right? Probably not, right? Well, <laughs> you don't need a helper because you have a headache. So... Either we're talking about a person who, irrelevant of his sickness, had a helper, right? Let's say he was a 70-year-old man, a 70, an 80-year-old man, and he needs help practically living, moving around, functioning, but he's totally healthy. So there's, I could hear room to say that maybe that's called a chola also, according to halacha. Well, let's assume not like that. Let's assume that it's called being healthy. So anyways, he has a helper. So now he has a helper. And he has a headache. So now that helper goes inside with him. That makes a lot of sense. Teshvu came to door. You had him anyway. Or even not. I could hear that a person, you know, has a headache. Back in the day, they didn't have Tylenol. So what do you do if you have a headache? You lie down. And maybe someone takes you know, some water and uh, rubs your forehead. So we need someone to sit there with the water and the top cloth to rub his forehead for him. Fine, I hear that. And that person who's rubbing his forehead goes inside with him. Why? Teshvu came to Doru. Because normally, the person who's rubbing his forehead would also stop what they're doing to help him out. And that makes a lot of sense. Now, who's Amitztayr? Amitztayr is someone who we saw Rashi on Chafei Madbeis. Mitztayr is Mitztayr because of the sukkah. The sukkah is bothering him. Before he went to the sukkah, everything was fine. And Rashi reiterates that also on Chafav and Aleph. That a Mitztayr is due to the sukkah. Rashi says, Mitztayr is a sukkah mitzartai. The sukkah is bothering him. So once that's the case, that the sukkah is bothering him, that means that, that what? That I assume he had an aid beforehand. He had someone to help him out beforehand, right? He didn't get an aid. He didn't get a helper because, because what? The sukkah started bothering him? No, the aid was already there. So if the aid's already there and he has someone helping him, and now he goes into the sukkah and he has to leave, now that aid is always with him. There's a reason why the aid's here. So whatever reason the aid was here, the aid is always with him. So how come that aid doesn't get the same exemption because of Teshu Kain Tadoru? What's the difference? Either way, we're talking about a someone who needs help. There's a Mishamish here. There's someone who's constantly there to help him. So if we're talking about a person who has someone, a constant help, so then why doesn't that help irrelevant for the reason why they're helping why doesn't that help if someone has constant help also get an exemption from sukkah? That's part of their normal day life. That's part of their normal day functioning. And if teshru kein tadoru means you're exempt, you're only obligated in the sukkah the same, under the same circumstances that of normal day living, normal day living is that you follow this person around. So why wouldn't the helper of the, the mitzdayer also warrant an exemption? This question is very, very difficult. It's very bothersome. And we're going to see two different approaches how to go ahead and deal with this issue. Now, the second source here 
is source number seven that I'm going to see is a sefer called the Mechtam. The Mechtam is from the same base midrash as Rashi. He's a more obscure Rishon. He's on most tractates. He doesn't even have a commentary. On Sukkah, we have his commentary. Um, what we're going to see, the Mechtam says, is already alluded to in the Mordechai. The Mordechai is one of the fundamental Ashkenazi commentaries we shown him on the Shas. And, you know, he pretty much makes it in every single simon in uh, the Shulchan Aruch. He makes his way in there. He's a very fundamental defining halacha. Um, there's a story with Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky was the Rosh Hashiva of Torah Vedas in New York. Um, he passed away in the 80s from what I remember. And there was one time he was getting a brain surgery that was going to cause, that maybe was going to cause him to lose his memory. So we woke up from the surgery. And first they asked him his name. He said, Yaakov. They asked him, his son was there with him. So his son was learning Maseches Chulin with him, Shaktit Chulin. And he asked him a question from the Mordechai in Chulin. So Rav Yaakov answered it right away. And so the doctor said, okay, Baruch Hashem, he didn't lose his memory. So Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky responded, he said, I don't understand, how come you didn't say that when uh, I remembered my name was Yaakov? So he said, because that's already something which is just like basic to your identity, but it's not something which you, you, know, you have to access your memory to and your analytical thought processes. So he said, I don't understand, the Mordechai is so fundamental to my, who I am that it's like my name. But yeah, Baruch Hashem, I didn't lose my memory. So that's the degree, just bring out the degree of that the, the Mordechai has, you know, in defining Allah. So the Mordechai says the same stance that the Mechtam does. Just the Mechtam was more clear, so that's why I quoted him. So it comes along the Mechtam and says as follows, Even if a person just has an eye ache or headache, they also get an exemption from Sukkah. Pirish, meaning to say, Even though they don't have a big sickness, they're still exempt. And the entirety of this exemption is also due to the circum the the principle of Teshvukein Tadoru. Now what's he saying? He says, because even in the place of his house where he normally lives, this would also be the case that what if ever was going on inside the sukkah would be a occurring inside of his house, it was mistelik sham, misham. He would get up and leave that room. So if there was a wind that was bothering him, there was a smell that was bothering him inside the sukkah, if that same wind or that same smell was occurring inside of his house, and he would get up and leave that room, and he would go to a different room where it was more comfortable. So if that we could transfix and transpose whatever it was he was being disturbed from in the sukkah, and move that to a different, you know, move that into his house, and that would cause him to move around in his house. That's the barometer of when he's able to leave the sukkah. So it comes along the, the mechtam and says, you know, how is a person supposed to know when it's bad enough that he's going to leave? So says the mechtam, you can get up and leave when what's bothering you is so much that we would you would get up and leave your house, you'd get up and move to a different room in your house. If that's true... So then you're able to get up and leave the sukkah as well. So now I want to ask as follows. You know, Mitzdayer, I understand this 100%. That you're being disturbed, distressed by the sukkah, and you can get up and leave. Fine. So if that's true, so then any time you're Mitzdayer in the sukkah, something is distressing you in the sukkah, you can get up and leave the sukkah. Now how would this play out in a chole? How would this play out by a sick person? Now it has to be that when it comes, this is also referring to a sick person, because the Mechtam starts this discussion with a filuchash be'inav a filuchash be'resho. It talks about examples of a sick people, headache, ache. So therefore, this steam barometer applies also to a chola. So what would that mean? The only way I would know how to say it is that it has to be that the what you're feeling, what you're, you know, going through inside of the sukkah, whether it be the the smell, whether it be the the cold, whether it be the wind, whatever that is, it has to be exacerbating your symptoms. And it's exacerbating your symptoms to the degree that if that was going on in your house, you'd get up and even go somewhere else. 
But if that wasn't, it's not exacerbating your symptoms. So what's this barometer have any relevance to a sick person? Seemingly, there's no relevance whatsoever. So therefore, that would be a chiddush that comes out from the mechtam. The chiddush is that it has to be that the sukkah is causing an exacerbation of your symptoms, and going inside will alleviate that. That's the first novel idea I want to bring out from the mechtam. Besides his actual chiddush, his chiddush is also, you know, giving this parameter in general is a chiddush. Chiddush number two is that if the application of that chiddush, that application of that parameter, at least when it comes to a sick person, tells us that the what he's the sukkah itself has to be exacerbating his symptoms. Now, chiddush number three: How in the world does this apply to the helper of the sick person? I understand the mitzayer. I understand even the sick person, but the reason why the helper of the sick person is coming inside is not due to his discomfort. So, does this mechtam, does this parameter, have any relevance, and does it shed any light onto the exemption of the helper of the sick person? Seemingly not. And if that's true, that it sheds no light on the exemption of the helper of the sick person, so what in the world is the nature of that the helper's exemption? That we don't see as Teshu Kain Tadoru. So that's where, that is, you know, I guess would be our three points in the Mechtam. And now we're going to try to give, give offer three different approaches to, you know, address these issues and see what the Halach Lamaisa is. Now, as an aside, we asked a question, why is it that the Gemara, while discussing the, you know, the exemption of Chola, a sixth person also brought in the exemption of Mitzdayar. After seeing both of these Yishenim, we have an answer to that question. The answer is that they share a similar nature. They share the same nature of the exemption as Teshvu Kein Teduru. That same, you know, principle which we've been discussing now, it's the entirety of this Amud of Teshvu Kein Teduru, that you're only obligated in the Sukkah under the circumstances that you'd be in your house. So that's going to be the basis, that's principle, so it's creating the exemption for both the Chola and the Mitzdaya, according to the Ra, that also includes the helper of the Chola as well. And according to the Mechtam, it doesn't, seemingly doesn't include the, the helper. But at least for the actual person who is sick or the actual person who is in distress, the reason I assume why the Gemara couples them is because they share that same principle as the basis for the exemption. Now, there's a Shefer called the Shvus Yankov. The Shvus Yankov was one of the G'dolei Ha'achronim, who wrote a responsa in the 1800s, lived in Europe, I think in Poland. Um, he is quoted in the Shari Tshuva. The Shari Tshuva is one of the commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch that quotes different responsa, which are pertinent to the halachas being discussed in the Shulchan Aruch. So the Shari Tshuva quotes the Shus Yaakov. The Shus Yaakov asks the following question. Nishalti, this is source 8 on the source sheets, I was asked from one of my students, and this is his way, this is his question. One who was hired by the community, he was to be the helper for all the sick people. And we are of the opinion that people who help and are assisting sick people are exempt from sitting in the sukkah. Is he obligated nonetheless, even though he has an exemption, is he obligated nonetheless to eat at least a minimal amount inside of the sukkah? And due to that, the fact that he ate that minimal amount, he'll be able to make a birchas sukkah. He'll be able to make the blessing on the mitzvah. Because sometimes, you know, he has his own personal needs he has to take care of. He has to use the facility sometimes. And maybe the same way that he temporarily leaves his role as assisting the sick people in order to take care of his own needs, maybe that should also be true. He should temporarily leave them in order to take care of his spiritual needs of sitting in a sukkah. Or maybe that's not true. Maybe he shouldn't go out of his way to try to take care of those spiritual needs. And this is the Shvus Yanksev's answer to this statement of Misham Sheikhila. Nearly the Potter Misukala Gamre. It seems to me, says the Shvus Yankov, 
that he's entirely exempt from sitting in the sukkah, inasmuch as he's being hired to take care of the sick person for all of his needs, and to take care of him, to watch over him, and to do his actions, his work, entirely and trustfully, loyally. And therefore, if he goes to eat in the sukkah, this worker is going to be so distraught, he's going to be so concerned about the welfare of his sick people, so then he is going to get, he's going to attain the exemption of mitzdayer. He himself is going to be qualified as a mitzdayer, which exempts him. Why is that? Shadaito alav tamid. Inasmuch as his mind is constantly on the sick person he's, that's in his charge, and therefore he's exempt from sukkah. So to say it, you know, to put it in a nutshell, when it comes to the helper of a mitzdayer, I'm sorry, the helper of a sick person, so he's exempt because he's so concerned for the person he's helping, he's considered to be a mitzdayer. Now, why would be the contrast then to a helper of a mitzdayer? help of a person who's distressed. So the answer would be that when he leaves him to eat in the sukkah, so he's not so caught up by it. He's not so upset from the fact he has to leave this person who's left in his charge. And therefore, he doesn't warrant that exemption. And that would be the Shvus Yaakov. So now, this Shvus Yaakov, you know, I'm sorry to speak so harshly, but this Shvus Yaakov doesn't, it doesn't start. There's no explanation to such a Shvus Yaakov. And there's multiple layers why that's true. Number one, the reason why the Shvosyankov says that the Meshamesh of Achola is exempt is because he's mitzdayer. He's disturbed, he's distressed. Now, we saw already two different Rashis. Rashi on Chavhei Amad Beis when contrasting the exemption of Sukkah because of mitzdayer and the exemption of due to mourning, the lack of exemption due to mourning, says that the Tzar has to be caused by the Sukkah. Rashi reiterates that on Chavavah and Aleph, that the Tsar has to be Shasukah Mitzartai. The Sukkah is what's causing him distress, disturbance. When it comes to the Shvasyakov's exemption of Mitzdayer, what's causing him, the, the helper, to be distressed is not the Sukkah. It's the fact he's leaving his charge. So that seems to be almost against an explicit Gemara on Chafayam and Beis that. The basis of mitzayah, which exempts you, has to be caused from the sukkah, not just some kind of general distress, general disturbance. Secondly, what's the difference then, according to the Shos Yaakov, of the tsar that this person who's helping the sick people is feeling, as opposed to the tsar of an avil, the tsar of someone in mourning? The tsar of someone in mourning doesn't exempt you from sukkah, but the tsar of a person who leaves as his charge that he's responsible to take care of, does exempt him from a sukkah? Why is that? It seems like both of them are disturbed, distressed, from something which is irrelevant to the actual structure and the mitzvah of sitting in the sukkah. So once we're willing to say that some kind of external distress outside of the parameters of mitzvah sukkah is enough to give you an exemption, so then similarly, that should also be true, be true by an Avil. So how would the Shavu Se'akov answer that question? Now, number three, what is, what is the, the, the actual Tsar here that the Shamash is feeling, that the helper of the sick person is feeling? So I know two ways to go here. Number one is that he's afraid he's going to lose his job. He just started. He feels very, no, he has to do his job really well. And if he messes up and he's not there to take care of the sick person... So then he's afraid he's going to lose his job. Now if that's true, he's afraid he's going to lose his job. So then, why isn't that true also to the Meshama Sheva Mitzdayar? We have the old man who has someone that's helping him. Now, he needs someone to help him. So if the old man who needs someone to help him, his helper goes into the sukkah to eat, and he's not there to help the old man during that time period, maybe the old man's also going to get upset and he'll lose his job. So why isn't he worried about that? Why wouldn't the Meshamesh of Mitzdayer also warrant that same exemption? Because he's also nervous about losing his job. Now, what are you going to tell me? No, that's not the, that's not the explanation. The explanation is that really, 
the reason why someone has an exemption is because he feels very responsible. He's hired to take care of this person. And in as much as he's hired to take care of this person who's sick, he feels very, very responsible. And therefore, that responsibility is a burden on his shoulders. And he's going to do whatever he can to make sure that he's able to take care of him. And if he has to leave his side, oy vavoy, he's going to be very upset. It's going to be very hard for him. Now, that I understand to a certain degree. And the old man who needs his general, you know, he needs help. So the person, his helper, doesn't have that same emotional connection. And he feels responsible for him. He feels loyalty to him. Why not? And let's say it's a different case. Let's say that one person, the Meshamash of Achil, is being paid to take care of the sick person. And let's say we have a different case that, you know, Reuven and Sarah are married, and Reuven is about to go sleep in the sukkah, and he's very happy. Baruch Hashem, he gets a mefil mitzvah deraisa. But Sarah's not willing to go to the sukkah. She doesn't want to sleep in the sukkah. It's not for her. She feels uncomfortable sleeping outside. Fine, she's going to be in the house. But now she's very upset. Why is she upset? Because her husband's not sleeping in the same room with her. She's sleeping outside nonetheless. They're not even in the same house. It's very hard for her. So now she's mitzdayah. She's upset. I would think that Reuven should also be upset, right? His wife's, his wife's in distress because he's not there. So why wouldn't he be exempt? He's helping out a lady who's mitzdayah. She's mitzdayah. Now he's mishamisher. He's helping her. Why doesn't that give him an exemption? What, he doesn't feel an emotional connection? It's his wife. So another way to say this would be that whether or not a person feels mitzdayah is purely circumstantial. If it's purely circumstantial, then the Gemara that makes a distinction between the shamish of a chola and the shamish of a mitzdayah is totally meaningless. Because really, we're not telling you that if you're a shamish of a chola or a shamish of a mitzdayah, that's whether or not, it's going to determine whether or not you get an exemption. What's really going to determine is your degree of emotional connection that you go through. So therefore, it's very hard for me to imagine that's the intent of the Gemara. That being said, the Shvusyankov is a riddle. It's a mystery. I don't know what he's trying to say. And I don't have a way to make that make any sense. So that was our approach number one, is that the, the Shamash has an exemption due to Metzdayah. And that's, the Shamash of a sick person, I'm sorry, is an exemption to the Metzdayah. And that's coupled within the exemption of Teshvu Kein Tadoru, like the Ra'a said. If that's the case, I have no understanding of how that could be for the three reasons that we discussed before. And we're going to push that approach to the side. So there's a sefer called the Aruch Haner. The Aruch Haner presents another approach to answer this question. Um, the Aruch Haner was a young of Etlinger. He lived in Germany in the 1800s, and he was a tremendous, tremendous Talmud Chacham. He wrote a commentary on Sukkah, and besides writing on Tractate Sukkah, he also wrote a sefer on Hilchus Sukkah called the Bukhari Yaakov. Um, he wrote a commentary on Sanhedrin. He wrote a commentary on Makos. He wrote a commentary on Kachim. So he's really, you know, a very... He's one of the heavyweights of the the major Achreinim that wrote commentaries in Allah authorities. So the, he was actually the most the person I was most excited about. And I'll tell you why. Because he starts off his discussion and he says, Lo b'mafarshim b'poskim. I didn't see in the commentaries on the Talmud and the, in the commentaries on the Halacha, Tam a clear distinction, a clear reason. Lama gam Why, when it comes to a sixth person, his helper is also exempt. And when it comes to a person distressed from the Sukkah, so his helper isn't exempt. Right? So, Baruch Hashem, you know, like he starts off in saying, this whole Sugi is a mystery. There's something which the Gemara is, is expressing is very clear. And the Bishonim, you know, who am I quoting to you? I'm not quoting to you Rashi or, you know, Tosfos or the Rush or the Rif or the Ran or the Rambam. I'm not quoting you any of the, you know, major Bishonim. I'm quoting to you Ra'a uh, and Amechtam who discussed this question. Right? The Bishonim you probably never even heard of. So at least the Arch Hashol, the Arch Lener, I'm sorry. He's coming along and he's sharing in this difficulty. What what happened here? How could it be that the Gemara makes this clear distinction and no one explains it when the reasoning behind this distinction is actually not so clear? So he 
you know, after apologizing and asking questions and he doesn't understand how it could be, he goes ahead and says, uh, he makes up facts, essentially, to address this issue. And what does he say? With Sarachleimer, we have to answer. Since a sick person needs the helper, the same way that he left his house in order to go and serve the sick person, he's able to also get up and leave the sukkah. But when it comes to a person who's distressed from the sukkah, even though he has someone that he hired to take care of him, since he doesn't need him so much, then we can assume that we're talking about a helper who doesn't live with him. He just came, comes from nine to five. And therefore, he's also not able to leave his house. And then he says, but we can say that out of necessity, but we still should look more into it. Meaning to say, he's coming to make a distinction. A sick person really needs his helper. And since a sick person really needs his helper, we can assume that the helper of the sick person left his house. And since he left his house, he can also isn't obligated to be in the sukkah. Whereas when it comes to the helper of a mitzdayer, so there, that he doesn't need him so much. And therefore, he never left his house. We're not talking about a, a helper who left his house. And then... If that's true, so then he's not exempt from sukkah either. Now this is also temua admaod. This is astonishing to say such a thing, right? And at least the archaner apologizes for saying it. He says you're only saying this bedochak. We're forced to say it, and he still should look more into the question. But what's he saying? He's saying that a sick person really needs his helper, and therefore it has to be that the helper we're discussing left his house and is living with the sick person. Whereas when it comes to the Mitzdayer, even though he has, he hired a helper, and he's had a hired a helper before he was Mitzdayer, he doesn't really need him, and therefore it must be that he didn't really leave his house, he just comes there to work, but he goes back home, and therefore he's not exempt from Sukkah. So, besides the assumptions here, right, let's go slow. The sick person we're discussing is a guy who got a headache. The guy, the guy who got a headache, what does he need his helper so much? that necessitates this guy to get up and pack his bags and live and move in with him. He has a headache at the end of the day. We're not talking about someone who's extremely sick. The guy, he has a headache. So I don't know what the gravity is of the sickness that necessitates him to move in with him, whereas the helper from Metzdara doesn't necessitate that. That's number one. Number two is that, let's say circumstantially, the helper of the Metzdara was living with him. So according to the Arch Lener's logic, he also would attain an exemption. So again, I go back to the Gemara. The Gemara says that the helper of a sick person, the helper of a sick person attains an exemption. The helper of a Mitzner doesn't attain an exemption. That's totally inaccurate according to the Arch Lener. According to the Arch Lener, a helper who moves in with the person he's helping gets an exemption. And a helper who doesn't move in with the person who he's helping doesn't get an exemption. That's how the Gemara should read. So the Arach Lanir, for these two reasons, I think, you know, is not understandable. But at least, at least what he does do is he, he legitimizes the, our stance here and our frustration with the lack of clarity in this understanding. So I brought for you here in Source 10 a Piske Arid. The Piske Arid is going to go with a similar approach to the Arach Lanir. The Piske Arid was of Rav Yishayim Itcharani. Rav Yishayim Itcharani was one of the early Ashkenazic Rishonim. He's, as of late, is becoming more famous because they found a lot of his svarim in Geniza and they're republishing him. But uh, in the halachic works, he doesn't make it in so much. When he does make it in, so they, they give him a lot of respect and they give him a lot of weight in determining halacha, but he doesn't, he's not so well, well spread. He's not so well known. So here he has a big chiddush. He wants to claim that there's no tremendous difference between a chol and a mitzdayer. He wants to claim that a chol is a person who's sick, and he was sick before he went in the sukkah. And for that same price, a mitzdayer, a mitzdayer, says the piskerid, is also someone who's sick. And he was sick before he went to the sukkah. Aye, if that's true, what's the difference between a chol and a mitzdayer? Says the, the rid, that when it comes to a chol, someone helping him can cause the help, it can help 
Some, someone taking care of him will help get rid of the sickness quicker. They, they'll accomplish through helping him that he'll heal quick, more quickly than if no one was helping him. Whereas when it comes to a metzdayer, that's a person who's sick, but there's nothing you could do to help him. He needs time. He's weak. So there, that being the case, comes along the rid and says, a very, very geschmack, enjoyable, understandable distinction. That when it comes to the helper of a chole, in as much as he's, you know, doing something to speed up and quicken and hasten the sick person's healing process, so therefore the Torah gives a lot of importance to that, and therefore he gets an exemption. That's part and parcel of the teishvu keintaduru, of the sick person himself. He, he's necessary to leave this, it's necessary for him to leave the sukkah, to help the sick person attain his health again, reattain his health. But when it comes to a person who's not going to be alleviated, is not, his, his health is not going to be hastened due to any kind of help that he's getting. So therefore, the Torah doesn't give credence to that type of help enough to exempt him from sukkah. And that's why the helper of a metzdayer wouldn't be exempt. That's how the piske rid wants to come to address this question. Now, the actual logic is beautiful, and it reads unbelievably into the Gemara, and that would be, for sure, a legitimate approach to answer this question. There's two problems that I have with this. One is a, a, a technical issue, and one is not really such a problem as opposed to seeing a, a novel perspective here. But number one is that this is not like the Rishonim, and it's hard to understand how we read the Gemara. The Rishonim Rashi we quoted is that Mitzdayer is the sukkah is Mitzayerin. The sukkah is what's causing him disturbance. According to the Rid, that's not true. The sukkah is not causing him disturbance. So once that's the case, what's the distinction that the Gemara made on Chathayim days between the Mitzdayer of an Avil and the Mitzdayer of Sukkah? The Gemara said Mitzdayer of Sukkah was a Tsar de Memele. Whereas when it comes to Mitzdayer of Avelis, that was not, uh, that was not like a, a Tsar we give credence to. So what's Mitzdayer de Sukkah according to the Rid? I would want to know how he reads the Gemara Chafeim and Beis. That's number one. That would be my first question. The second question I would have, it's not really a question, it's just a novel idea, is that let's say someone's tremendously sick. Tremendously sick, but they're sick with a virus. So now, there's nothing you could do to treat that virus. Right? All you need is time. So if that's the case, according to the Pisgah Rid, it would come out that a helper for the person with the virus isn't exempt from sukkah. Or, you know, someone who's terminally ill, chas v'shalom, who's, there's nothing we could do to bring him back to health. Also, his helper wouldn't get an exemption because there's nothing he could do to help bring him back to, help, help bring him back to health. Whereas when it comes to a person, you know, who uh, is minimally sick, he has a slight fever, and it would help him if someone takes a cool, damp washcloth and wipe his forehead, that person who's helping the minimally sick person would have an exemption. It's, maybe that's true, but for sure, the halacha, we don't go like that. And secondly, it's, it seems like a novel perspective that someone who could be tremendously sick, there's just nothing we could do to help him, so he wouldn't be considered sick in regards to sukkah. He would be a mitzdayer. But someone who's minimally sick, but we could do something to alleviate the symptoms, there that would be considered a sick person. It seems like a chiddush. Is that because of that? I want to leave this approach of trying to say that there's another way we can include them within teshvei to Duru, because the the, chula, the basic approach is that the meshamish of a chula is piggybacking off the chula's exemption whereas the Meshamash of a Mitzdayer can't piggyback off of it. That was our second approach. It was expressed by the Arch Laner and the Piske Arid in two different fashions. The Arch Laner trying to make a circumstantial distinction, whereas the Piske Arid trying to say a Chiddush in the definition of Chol and Mitzdayer. But there we're going to leave that approach, the second approach, and let's try approach number three. Comes the Lavush. The Lavush is one of the early halachic authorities. Um, and he says as follows, It doesn't mean specifically a Anyone who's challenged, disturbed, distressed is exempt from sukkah. They give the same degree of exemption that to an, a mitzayar 
as I did to Bechayla. Why? When it comes to a sick person, him and his helper exempt. But when it comes to Mitzdayer, the Mitzdayer himself is exempt and not his helper. Comes along Levush and says, because the helper of the of a Mitzdayer isn't involved in a Mitzvah. Implying that the reason why the helper of a Mitzdayer is exempt from, I'm sorry, the helper of a chayla is exempt from sukkah is due to the concept of oisik b'mitzvah, patamina mitzvah. That's tremendous. The reason of the exemption has nothing to do with k'teshu k'en t'doru. It's, it's what we discussed before, oisik b'mitzvah, patamina mitzvah. Now, before we get into this, does that fit with the Rishonim? So the answer is that according to the Mechtam and the, the Mordechai that we discussed before, that gave a barometer of you're able to leave the sukkah when you're experiencing in the sukkah that would cause you to leave rooms even in your house, that would go great. Like we said before, that barometer only applies to the sick person or the person who himself is distressed. But regards to the person who's helping the sick person, he doesn't feel like he has to leave. So why is he getting exemption? There comes along the lavush. We could use this lavush to say that no, the nature of his exemption isn't based off Teshvukein Tadoru. And that's maybe why the Mechtam and the Mordechai didn't talk about him. The basis of his exemption is due to a new concept, a different concept called Osik Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. So that would be a breath of fresh air to explain the nature of that exemption. Now, the truth is, in Source 13, I brought you the Mishnah Berurah. The Mishnah Berurah tells you that Cholim are exempt because of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. And he says that the reason the Mishamshim are exempt are because of Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. That means that the Mishnah Berurah understood that the Halacha Lamaisa is like this Lavush, that the nature of the exemption of a Cholim, the helper of a Cholim, sorry, is because of Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. But he also understood that inherently the nature of the exemption was different than that of the Chol and the Mitzdair himself. The Chol and the Mitzdair himself were exempt due to the concept of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. So this distinction that we made already between the Mechtam and the Mordechai would, is, we see being manifest the Halacha also in the Mishnah Berurah, which is also very Gishmak. Now like this. Now that we went ahead and said a third approach. What's our third approach? That when it comes to the Chola and the Metzdair, they're exempt because of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. And when it comes to the helper of the Chola, he's exempt because of Osik Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. And I have a new question. Why in the world isn't the helper of the person who is Metzdair also Osik Mitzvah? We know there's a Mitzvah called Gemilus Chasatim, doing help, help, helping other people. Being a mensch. If someone needs help and you're helping him out, you have a Mitzvah. Gemilus Chasadim, the base, the source of that in the Torah is Vyahafta the Reyacha Kamecha. So once that's true, how come when it comes to Misham Sheikhoyle, only they get that allowance of Osig Mitzvah Hatamina Mitzvah, whereas when it comes to Misham Shemitzdaya, they don't get that allowance? That's a tremendous question. Here I saw there's a sefer called the Birkas of Ram. The Birkas Avram is a sefer that was written by someone alive today. His name is Avram Engelhart. He lives in Yushalayim. He's a Magid Shir in a yeshiva called Kaltora. It was the yeshiva that Rav Shlomo Zaman Orobach was the Rish yeshiva of. He asked this question. He asked this question here. What's the difference? How come when it comes to Mesham Sheikhoyle, they are labeled as Osik B'Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah? Whereas when it comes to Mesham Sheikhoyle, they're not considered Osik B'Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. Seemingly, they're performing... So he says something here very cryptic. He says that the difference is that when it comes to Gimilus Chasadim, that's called Mamona, and we don't push aside Mamona Isura due to Mamona. That's so cryptic, I don't know what it means. The truth is I tried to be in touch with him, I couldn't reach him. But I'll tell you what I do think, a different answer. When it comes to the mitzvah of Bikur Cholim, so the mitzvah of Bikur Cholim is a mitzvah which is very, very clear what you're doing. You're going and you help this a person sick and you help them. You help them feel better, right? So if someone's doing the mitzvah of Bikr Cholim, no, it's, it's not unclear to anyone what he's going there to do. Now, what happens when a person's doing Gemilus Chasadim? If it's, when someone's saying, I'm going to go be Mekayim the mitzvah of Gemilus Chasadim, I'm going to do the after the Rech What does that look like? What's that entail? So it could mean 
that the elderly neighbor next door, you're helping her carry her bags into her house from her grocery shopping. Or it could mean that the guy down the street, you're giving him a loan. Or it could mean that one of your neighbors, you're helping his kid study for a test. Right? The mitzvah of Gimelus Chasadim has no uniform manifestation. There's no action that the Torah prescribed for your fulfillment of it. It's a general mitzvah. It's a nondescript mitzvah. Now, inasmuch as that's true, I want to propose a chiddush. That maybe we only have this concept of osik be mitzvah patamina mitzvah when there's a tension between two actions that the Torah mandated. For example, the Torah says, you're getting married, you have a mitzvah, pruravu. So go ahead and consummate your marriage. Mitzvah. It's very clear what the action is. There's another mitzvah called Kriyashma. The Kriyashma is very clear what the Torah is prescribing that you do. Now, those two things can't happen at the same time. So now when the Torah is telling me to do two specific actions, and those two actions can't coexist at the same time, so then we come on to the concept called Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. And so how that would be manifest here is that there's something called Sukkah, and there's something called Bikr Cholim, and the two very, very clear mitzvahs. And the Torah is mandating to do specific actions, and those two actions can't coincide, they can't coexist. So there we come on to the concept of Osik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. But when it comes to the nature of mitzvahs, Gimilus Chasadim, inasmuch as that mitzvah is nondescript, so there, maybe we don't even have that tension in the first place. We don't see here, when it comes to Gimilus Chasadim, sit in the sukkah and do what? Gimilus Chasadim? Gimilus Chasadim I can't do in the sukkah? Oh, I could. Aye, but this circumstance I can't? But we don't see that within the, the mandate of Gimilus Chasadim. So since we don't see that inherently within the mandate, within the parameters of the mitzvah chasadim, it could be that the concept of the principle of osik mitzvah patamina mitzvah doesn't apply. So that's what I'm going to propose here. Again, if we're going to go ahead and say, according to this third approach, what's the what's the nature of the exemption of cholam etzdayer? Teishu keintaduru. What's the nature of the exemption of mesham sheicholam? Osik mitzvah patamina mitzvah. Why doesn't that exist? As well, when it comes to Misham Shem Etzdayer, they're also, osik, they're also seemingly performing a mitzvah. So the way we're saying it is that Osik Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah only applies when there's a tension between what the, the action the Torah is telling you to do. But if there's a general mitzvah, which the Torah doesn't have a uniform action in how to, how to fulfill it, there we don't see a tension in order to give you that allowance of Osik Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. And therefore, Misham Shem Etzdayer don't get they don't, don't attain that exemption. Now, that's our three approaches. The last approach of Osik Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah is going to be, that's the halacha. The nafkamin of this is what happens the first night of Sukkot. The first night of Sukkot, we know there's halacha, that if it rains the first night of Sukkot, nonetheless you have to eat in the Sukkah. So that means that even though you're a mitztayar, even though you're a mitztayar, you're still obligated the first night of Sukkot. Now, that being said, the exemption of Mitzdair is Teshvu Kein Tadoru. That means that the exemption of Teshvu Kein Tadoru doesn't apply the first night. So if that's true, if the Misham Sheikhole was like we saw in the Shvus Yaakov, he was a Mitzdair, like we saw in the Ar Chalaner and the Piske Rid, that was because of Teshvu Kein Tadoru. So then the Misham Sheikhole would be obligated to eat in the Sukkah the first night. But according to the Mishnah Brura that goes like the Lavush, that the nature of the exemption of Misham Sheikhola is Osik B'mitzvah, Patamina Mitzvah, he's going to be exempt the first night also. Because that caveat, that special importance of eating, eating in the sukkah the first night, we're still not obligated to do the entire time of fulfilling a different mitzvah. The Osik B'mitzvah, Patamina Mitzvah, never obligates me in the first place to eat in the sukkah. And that would be a practical difference between these approaches. As the last point I would like to say here is that the Rambam in Hilchus Avelis in Perak Yudalad Halacha Aleph says that the mitzvah of Bikur Cholim is a mitzvah de Rabbanan. It's only rabbinic in nature. So even though it might be part of a, a deraisa called Kimilus Chasadim, the specific action of visiting the sick and taking care of them, that's only rabbinic. So here that means that according to our understanding, 
That's a clear, explicit source that even a person is Isaac in a mitzvah derabanan that exempts him from a mitzvah deraisa. Why? Because he's performing the Misham Sheikhola, performing a mitzvah bikur cholim. That mitzvah is only derabanan, and that exempts him from sitting in the sukkah, which is a mitzvah deraisa. So, according to us, that comes out that it's a Mishnah, it's an explicit Mishnah that says cholim and Misham Sheyin are exempt from sukkah, that a mitzvah derabanan actually can exempt you from a mitzvah deraisa. So even though we claim this to be true on Dafchafeyam and Aleph, based off our svara, based off our logic, according to the the way we're applying the Lavush right now, it comes out that it's actually a Mishnah which is expressing that a mitzvah derabanan can ex- exempt you from the fulfillment of a mitzvah deraisa. Okay, it's Rabbah, guys.